Keelan will always remember Tuesday, July 28, 2020. It was a day he should have died. After crashing his car, the 23-year-old was passed out in the driver's seat, completely unaware that his car was on fire. Thankfully for Keelan, Antonio Morgan saw the wreck and fire, pulled over, and immediately took action. Fighting with the smoke, the fire, and the seatbelt, Morgan pulled Keelan out moments before the rest of his car was engulfed in flames. Morgan didn't have to stop that day. He had no obligation to jump into the burning wreck and to save this man. He could have kept driving to wherever he was going with his son. He could have seen the, the man in the hoodie and the do-rag on and thought his life wasn't worth his time. Think about that for a second. Driving past, seeing a man in a hoodie and a do-rag on passed out to the steering wheel of a burning car, thinking his life isn't worth my time. That statement's absurd, isn't it? Fortunately for Keelan, that's not who Morgan is, and that thought never crossed his mind. In his own words, Morgan says, I'm a protector by nature, so I had to jump in. I was just doing what came natural to me. Keelan owes his life to the man that saved him. In his own words, he says this, I can't thank him enough, man. He'll always be a part of my life and my family's life. That's a good man. Now that he has a second opportunity at life, he feels that this is the time for him to show the world his change, to show that he's a different person than when he first crashed that car. He has his whole life ahead of him, but he'll forever be indebted to Morgan, the man who saved his life. Keelan isn't the only one who will never pay off this debt. His debt is a continual reminder of the wake-up call that he received that Tuesday. And now he has his life to show the world his change. And my hope for you this morning is that our text does a similar thing in your life that that wreck did in Keelan's. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 13. As we read verses 8 through 14, as we read this text, we'll look at, take a look at our debt Take a look at our wake-up call and also our call to action. And I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word again. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. Again, reading in Jesus' name. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that we would hear your word. Lord, that we would receive this wake-up call as well, that your word would do what it's designed to do in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Romans 13.8 is a verse that I am guessing Dave Ramsey has framed probably somewhere in his house. Owe nothing to anyone. 
And you could take this verse to mean that we should never take out a loan, but if we say that, that really put bankers in a tough position, wouldn't it? And if you take the verse in that way, you're limiting it to what it's really saying. You're not taking it in its context in which it was written. The previous verse, Paul gives a clue to what he is referring to here. In Romans 13, verse 7, he says this, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And going back a little bit further in the text, we see Paul's admonition to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, saying that these authorities are servants of God for our good. Applying verse 8 only to financial loans is a lot easier for us to keep. Just simply don't take out any loans. It's a rare event. As far as I know, most people aren't seeing loan officers every single day asking for more money. That might happen, I'm not sure. But every day, we run into people. Every day, we're living under authority. And every day, we have debts to pay. The exhortation in verse 8 is something that we are to keep in our minds every single day. It applies to all authorities that we find ourselves living under. To our local authorities, our state authorities, our federal authorities, to parents, teachers, schools, employers, the list can go on. To always be submitting to, always be honoring, always be loving these authorities. And there's no clause here to say whether you like it or not, whether you agree or disagree with it. And I should also add here that on the top of this list is the number one authority that we answer to, and that's God. We are to fear and love God above all things, to obey Him and to submit to Him, whether or not it's convenient for us, whether or not we like doing it, or we even want to. Here in this text, we're given clear instruction of what God demands of us, to love the authorities over us, to submit to them. The call in verse 8 goes further yet, though, Paul opens it up, not just to the authorities over us that, that God has placed us under, but he says this, to all people, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. This is what God calls you to do, and not only calls you to do it, he expects it of you and he demands it of us. This is the debt that we are to continue to pay, the debt that we are always indebted to one another. The debt that we owe people we come in contact with in our lives. The debt that we owe to those who are in authority over us. To love them. This is a debt that we never fully fulfill. No matter how many times you've watched your neighbor's cattle for them, no matter how many times you've smiled and waved at them, no matter how many times you've held your tongue from saying something that you know you shouldn't say about any other person, we never outlive our debt to love these people. We never reach a point where we can say, I've loved enough. I've fulfilled my duty to you. I'm no longer obligated to love you anymore. So we think about that, the people closest to us in our lives, we would never say that to our spouse, where you say, well, it's been 10 years of, of good marriage, and I've loved you. I've given myself over to you, but I've loved you enough. It's time to move on. It's time to love myself now. 
We don't say that to our children either. All right, you're five years old. I've loved you for five years. I've woken up in the middle of the night with you. I've, I've taught you how to do all these different things, and now I'm done. I fulfilled my duty to you. And if we're kids, we don't look at our parents and say, I fulfilled my duty to you. I've lived in your house for 18 years. No longer do I have to honor you and love you and respect you anymore. But I'm done. Now these things are continual debts that we never fully pay. As Christians, we are to continually be loving the people in our lives, all the people that God has placed in our lives. Now let's pause here for a second and ask ourselves the question realistically, what does this look like? What does it look like to love our neighbors? Verse 9 gives a summary. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And as we look at verse 9, most of us can look at those and, and breathe a sigh of relief and say, whew, I've loved my neighbor well. I haven't done any of those things. I've never had sex with someone other than my spouse. I've never killed anyone. I've never snuck into my neighbor's garden to steal the, their vegetables or even destroy their garden. And I don't really care one way or another about the stuff that my neighbor has. I'm content to have what I have and let them have what they have. And some of you can't even see your neighbor's houses from where you live. We begin to think that not causing harm to our neighbor is the same thing as loving our neighbor. But is it? Is not causing harm the same thing as love? Let's go back to Keelan's wreck for a second. Is a loving thing to do to, to drive past, to see him, to pray, and to keep on driving? Say, God, I hope you just deliver that person from that wreck. Or is a loving thing to pray and to pull over and to remove Keelan from the burning car? We know the answer to that. It's to stop, to pull over, and to actively love. Put ourselves in, in Keelan's shoes here. You'd want someone else to pull over and to rescue you from this burning car that's loving your neighbor as yourself. But how often do we tell ourselves, it's not my business. I don't even know the guy. He's not someone who I need to invest in. How often do we apply that same logic to those in our lives? I see you, but I don't really need to love you because I don't know you. The biblical love that Paul says we're forever indebted to isn't a love of ignorance. It doesn't simply mean refraining from harming your neighbor. But love, as Lenski explains it here, is, is never only a feeling or a mere disposition, but it's always also an energy that works, namely with inherent intelligence and purpose. It couldn't possibly remain inactive. Love does. It doesn't remain inactive. It moves us into action. Love is jumping into the fiery wreck of people's lives to save their souls. And there are a million excuses that we can come up with to excuse ourselves from loving our neighbors. A million and one excuses. But only one thing matters. And that is, who is the authority that we are to answer to? Who is the authority that we are called to submit to? Who is the one that we are called to fear and love above all things? And what does he say? Love does no wrong to a neighbor, and therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. Yes, love is not harming your neighbor, but it's more than that. It's taking action. Ignoring someone is not loving them. Isolating ourselves is not loving others. Inaction is not love. 
But here in this text, Paul says that we are forever indebted to love one another. We are forever called to be loving each other, always. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do even if there is someone that you love already. It's a hard thing to be loving them all the time. But this is exactly what God has called us to do. Back before everyone had cell phones, if you were staying in a hotel and you needed to wake up and you forgot your alarm clock, you would simply call down to the front desk and ask for a wake-up call. Room phones didn't have caller ID back in the day when I was in high school. So we thought it would be fun to help the receptionist out a little bit. That's loving your neighbor, right? Taking something off of their plate. And we had a great time making numerous wake-up calls to our friend who was staying in another room at numerous times throughout the morning. Well, he woke up on time, and he was in the hotel lobby waiting for us and greeted us with these words. Boy, those people who do the wake-up calls must really love their jobs with no idea that we were the ones who loved our jobs that day. Wake-up calls. Paul gives a much more noble wake-up call than the calls we made in high school, and a much more important wake-up call to us as well. Verse 11 and 12, he says this, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I appreciate the way that one theologian describes verse 11. He says it in this way, The moment has arrived. The alarm clock is ringing. And he defines sleep as figurative for anything resembling delay, carelessness, or indifference. The sleeper likes to put off leaping out of his easy bed. The alarm clock is ringing, and we don't want to get out of bed. It's comfortable. It's nice. We don't want to face whatever challenges the day has in store for us. We don't want to do those tasks that we don't want to do, but we know we have to do and we know we should do. Paul says here the alarm clock is ringing and the day of Christ's return is getting closer and closer. Time is running out for you to love your neighbor. And yet we still tell ourselves it's nice under these warm sheets. It's nice not having to worry about anybody else's life. It's nice not having to leave our comfort zone to extend love to someone else. It's nice to hold on to this grudge for this person who has wronged me so long ago rather than forgive them and love them. It's comfortable for us to put down those who think differently than us and to surround ourselves only with the people who are just like us. Paul says here it's time to get out of bed the alarm clock is ringing. What are we going to do? Luther explains these deeds of darkness here in the text as the works of those who are asleep in the spirit, those who are snoring away in the desires of the world, not only those works which are popularly thought to be evil, but also those which are considered good and yet are evil because of the inner evil. For men do them without the watchfulness of faith. Is it important to work hard in everything that you do? Absolutely, it's a great thing, it's a good thing to try hard to do your best. But that becomes a problem when we're so focused on whatever earthly goals we have that we forget and neglect our souls. 
becomes a problem when we're so focused on our earthly goals that we not only neglect our own souls, but we neglect the souls of those around us. And we only see things temporarily. We're chasing after these temporary goals to the neglect of our own souls and the neglect of the souls that God has placed around us. This sleep that Paul writes here is a sleep towards eternal things. When you're so wrapped up in chasing temporary things of this world with all that you are. And here the wake-up call comes when we're reminded that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Someday when we aren't expecting it, Jesus will come again. Someday when we aren't expecting it, we'll breathe our last breath and our life on this earth will be done. And in that moment, it'll be too late to love your neighbors. In that moment, it'll be too late to care for their souls. In that moment, it'll be too late to wake ourselves up from our own indifference. The Lord reminds us here, the day is near. Again, it's time to wake up and get out of bed. It's a call to action. It's a time to get to work, to do the work that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. It's a time for us to, as Paul says, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The image given here isn't just hanging on until Jesus comes back. It's not a a white-knuckle approach just holding on, getting through the next election, the next virus spike, the next tragedy, the next persecution, or even just the next day. It's a call to action to put on the armor of light, not to stand still on display as a man covered in armor, but to do battle, to stand victorious until the Lord arrives or calls us home, to actively be loving our neighbors. Verse 13 gives some more practical instruction here. It says, what, is, what are these deeds of darkness? What do these things look like? And the list here doesn't describe everything, but here are the things of the darkness that our flesh loves to do. You may not enjoy doing it, but our flesh wants to do these things. He says this, avoid these things, carousings and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity and sensuality, strife and jealousy. These things are just a summary again, but these things only serve to please your flesh. They're momentary fleeting feelings. And doing these things is not loving your neighbor. We aren't just called to not do bad things here, to put off the bad things. We're called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In verse 14, what does that look like? What does that mean? Putting on Christ takes two forms. Here in the text, he becomes our armor of defense against these weapons of darkness, against these spiritual forces, against our own sinful flesh, but it's also a weapon of offense against these same forces. Meaning we can tell ourselves, don't do bad things, don't do bad things, don't do bad things. But believe it or not, sooner or later, you're going to do bad things. But putting on the armor of Christ isn't just saying, don't do bad things. It's putting on Christ, serving Christ. Christ, what are you calling me to do? Help me to stay faithful to you. That armor that defends you from your own wickedness, and that armor that fights against the temptations of your own wicked heart. It's armor against the works of the devil in our own sinful flesh. If given the choice, we'd like to be woken up when the day comes, to sleep through all the darkness to sleep through all the evil and the wicked stuff that's going on in this world. And the day is drawing near. 
But God calls us to action now. And Christ is our defense against our own apathy, as well as our strength to live, and not only to live, but to love. To love even the ones that we find unlovable. And as we put on Christ, we're reminded of our own unlovable character. As we wrap ourselves with the one who loves us anyway. We wrap ourselves with the one who's died to free us from our sin, who sees us in our sin, dies to forgive us of our sin, and to free us from that. However, we wouldn't be able to do what this text says here, to put on Christ, if it weren't for already being clothed with Christ. You can't put something on that you don't have. Paul talks about being clothed with Christ and being united with Christ in numerous places throughout his letters. In Galatians, he explains what those clothes are. He says that we were clothed with Christ in baptism. So baptism isn't simply a ritual that we go through once and and all of its significance dries up along with the water. Rather, in baptism, you are clothed with Christ as God works through his word. And he has made you sons of God through faith. And as Paul writes these instructions for us here in Romans 13, he does it having already written Romans 6. And in Romans 6, we see baptism's significance in our lives again, saying that you were buried with Christ in baptism, and you were raised to new life in Christ, so that you would walk in the newness of life, no longer to be creatures dominated by darkness, but forgiven of our sins through the death of Christ and clothed with Christ. We are then free to live in obedience to him. We are free to put on Christ. We are free to love our neighbor as ourself. Our body of sin has been done away with and we are no longer slaves of darkness. But instead, we are free to follow God and we are no longer powerless. But when the alarm clock comes and starts ringing, we can get out of bed and do what God has called us to do. All of this God does for us through his word through the preaching, the teaching, the hearing, and the reading of his word. Each and every day as we're in God's word, it's an alarm clock for us, reminding us of what Christ has done for us and calling us into action, informing us how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves and what that looks like. Through his word, God awakens our hearts from their spiritual slumber. Through his word, God sets a burning in our hearts that wakens them up from their spiritual apathy. When Christ calls us to awaken from our slumber, he doesn't only call us, but he himself awakens us. He removes our eyes from the temporary treasures that we cling so dearly to, and he focuses them once again on eternal concerns. He calls us out of our indifference and our apathy and calls us to love and care for others. And he gives us a vision to see people as precious eternal human souls, people for whom Christ has died. This is a debt that we'll never be able to pay in full. We'll never again reach a moment where we can say, I have loved fully and completely and I am done loving. But the neatest thing of all is that as we love our neighbor, we are fulfilling the law. Because it's not only us who is loving our neighbor, but it is Christ in you. And as you love your neighbor, Christ is loving your neighbor. And Christ is providing for that individual. Christ is the one who has kept the law perfectly for us. And as we, are put on, as we put on Christ and as we're robed and clothed with Christ, we are robed and clothed in his righteousness. And so we love one another and we fulfill the law of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth.
Lord, this morning as we hear this wake-up call, we pray, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts, in our lives, that you would give us your eyes, that we would see people not only as people, Lord, but that we would see them for the precious eternal human souls that you have created them to be. Lord, that you would see people in our lives as people whom you have placed in our lives to love and to serve. Show us what that means, Lord. And forgive us for the times when we have failed. Forgive us for the times, Lord, when we do not submit to you and your authority, when we just do what we want to do. Wake us up, Father. Enlist us into your service. Help us to remember that we are clothed in Christ. And help us to live in that clothing and to be faithful to the work you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.